name is Petrus Patsilivus. This is Caged In, a Nicholas Cage podcast. And for the last 30 years, I believed the perfect woman didn't exist. That was until January 1st, 2021, when I saw a tweet that read, I saw 97 Nicolas Cage films this year. The owner of that tweet is Marianne Zumberg. And today, January 7th, yes, Nicolas Cage's birthday, we're going to go through the highs and lows of Cage's career as we discuss, amongst other things, her top and bottom five best and worst Nicolas Cage movies. How are you, Marianne? Are you well? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on on the holiest of days. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm very well. How have you have you do you have plans to celebrate Cage's birthday in any particular fashion? Mm, I'm wearing a Raising Arizona t-shirt and I'm going to wear that to go get a COVID test later today. <laughs> so that's that's my super fun day. Yes. Amazing. So yeah. <laughs> I, I guess it would be crass of me not to mention the the, the wider world at the moment. And uh, w- one of the one of the things that has come out of obviously the, the devastation that has happened, the, the, the further rising of the far right is uh, I'm not sure if you've picked up on this. A lot of people have used this as an opportunity to make cage jokes and like yes <laughs> i think like national the, treasure yeah <laughs> one of the best ones i think i saw was somebody put like oh maybe it is plausible that somebody could have stole the declaration of independence <laughs> yeah i saw one that was like you're telling me that nick cage could have just waltzed in and taken the declaration and the police would have helped him so <laughs> dark dark times but a, a silver lining uh, <laughs> is is some nick black comedy in there <laughs> yeah definitely this is not to obviously make light of the the tragic and horrible things that are happening in this world uh of you know, course here, here on caged in we like to keep things a little bit light and that that was a nice as you said a silver lining in this kind of shit storm of a start of the year and uh, <laughs> have you managed to obviously uh just two days ago the his uh the history of swear words dropped on netflix have you yes. check it out at all yeah i watched the first two episodes so i watched can i swear yeah, <laughs> I yeah watched... swear away all right hell yeah i watched fuck and shit and uh they're, they're they're a fun little uh little 20 minute way to pass through the like you know the the doom of existence in 2021 they're, they're like a nice little diversion it's it's funny it's uh nick does a great job obviously as usual um it look it looks to me like he's maybe had a little bit of work done have you watched any of it I- his face looks a little different I watched all of it. Yeah, it's kind of like now it's become like my job to be like on top of things. Like people, like I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting text messages like the evening of. Like, have you watched it all? Like, yeah, yeah, I watched it this morning. Okay. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I can relate to that. I got a lot of texts that were like, "Did you know?" I was like, "Of course I knew." <laughs> um, yeah. Did you notice like something something about his eyes and his eyelashes? It looks a little bit uncanny am i am i reading too much into it am i am i getting too granular here <laughs> well i i think it's the fact that he's, he's obviously like it's no 
and, and we'll get to we'll get to his hair in some detail a bit later on in the podcast. But sure. there is the like you've got to be blind to to believe <laughs> that that Nick Cage has not had work done on his hair. Like his hair right. all was well, going, 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 and then it's like it's back. Surprise! Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and right. his, and he looks like he's got a solid sponsorship with Just For Men as well. Like, <laughs> this, like this unnaturally black hair and beard that is like, like, obviously it's it's easy to mock him. But at the same time, it's like, hey, man, like you do you like he, he looks great for it. Right. I know. I I would never intend to mock him. It makes it more makes me sad about the, the pressure that, you know, even aging men in Hollywood are feeling to, you know, look so Instagram filtered. So I I want to encourage him to be like, just let yourself age naturally. You look fine. Like there have been a couple of movies where he has gray hair or and like gray chest hair. And I'm like, just like lean into that. <laughs> just just go with that. You don't need the like shoe polish look. Just just yeah, embrace yeah. the gray. Well, hopefully I'm not stepping on any of your uh, favourites or worst Nick Cage films, but one of the ones I think he looked like great in is Army of One, where he's like, he's clearly embracing that. And like, like well, Yes! But what's really funny about that is I remember seeing press for it and he really makes a point of saying like, they dyed my hair grey. And it's like, come on! No, oh my gosh! Oh man! <laughs> Just lean into it. It's natural and you look great. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Nick, if you hear this, you look great. Stop trying. You don't got to submit to those pressures. It's okay, yeah. man. <laughs> I, I, I think a personal, like, I think they're probably the most naturalistic acting wise and kind of like looks wise. It's probably uh, the film Joe where like he's got that salt and pepper beard and it's like, yes. He, yeah. He, I, I, I had no idea this was going to be so like, uh, how does Nick look centric, but I'm loving it by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm all about his image. So this, this, this makes sense to me. <laughs> Perfect. Let's, uh, well, we should have done a whole thing on the aesthetics of uh, Nicholas Cage. Uh, um, <laughs> Maybe that will be the next chapter of your podcast. Perfect. So yes. um, the way we're going to run this for you guys listening at home, we're going to go with um, the, number five on each of them and work down to one. So the list will be running concurrent. But before we get into your top fives, um, I always start off the podcast by asking, and I think it's a given on this occasion, are you a Nick Cage fan? Yes, I emphatically, yes, I am a Nick Cage fan. When I started, um, at the beginning of 2020, when I started watching, setting out to watch every Nicolas Cage movie, I think I was kind of kidding myself saying, I'm, it's not that I love him, it's that I wanna study him <laughs> as a media object. I wanna take this academic approach and figure out like, oh, is it possible that his career is emblematic of you know certain trends of Hollywood filmmaking? Like, can I make that argument? Could I write this as a dissertation? <laughs> but, then, uh, but then it was on like my third rewatch of Valley Girl. I was like, oh no, no, I... Uh, <laughs> This is just an actor that I really enjoy watching, so I want to I want to figure out why I enjoy it so much. That, so yes, I'm a huge fan now. <laughs> I, I I think I've got that similar journey of that thing of like I think as a kind of cultural milestone and a public figure, he is kind of 
at the same time really magnetic and enigmatic at the same time it's as much as like he's on screen so much it's like i don't tend to know that much about him he's got this kind of old hollywood air about him of like i don't know he kind of sits up there with like do you know what I mean like when when it was pre-internet you know everything about everyone it's like yeah you may occasionally see like a a tmz thing of like him getting sushi with crispin glover but it's not like you know (laughs) it's not like we know like when nicholas cage last had a shit like it's not like we know like the complete ins and outs do you know what i mean and like totally if he's getting snapped out in public it's because he's wearing like a pink leather jacket and he's got (laughs) a 20 something year old fiance on his arm and it's like right he he wants that out there but like do you know what I mean no social media kind of like very um managed like interviews where it's like it's not really too in depth on his life and I think it's because there is so much film talk to go through do you know what I mean like right by the time you scratch the surface on like what were you doing in that one specific scene like what were you doing with your hands like by the time <laughs> you got to that like an hour's passed because like he's doing so much on screen so like right right <laughs> and yeah I'm so grateful that he's off of social media because it really um it allows his I think his screen persona to fill in any gaps that we might wonder about and you know instead of instead of him tweeting about like how he feels about some movie that he just came out you can kind of, I feel like it forces us to infer from his performance you know whether this is the correct read of it or not it's you know it's uh it's it's more fun it, it's it's a lot more there's more room for your imagination to run wild and I think that's so important in maintaining his mystique <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and that that is definitely what he's got so Do you remember the first Nick Cage film you ever saw? Yes, yes. I remember I saw National Treasure when it was in theaters. And I think I was 12 when it came out. So I just went with like a bunch of my middle school friends because it was the Friday night blockbuster and there was nothing else to do. You know, it wasn't out of any particular interest in cage or any interest in the subject matter it was like oh this is the big disney movie coming out let's go and i remember being totally tickled by it but at the time i was like why didn't they cast like some young heartthrob to be to carry this movie why didn't they cast (laughs) why isn't this like i don't know why isn't this a josh hartnett movie or you know something silly like that but um that that you know as as the 12 year old girl brain functions <laughs> i was like where's the eye candy and then watching it now i'm like what was i thinking <laughs> like <that's, laughs> how dare i make that comparison when it came out well i guess in another like uh dimension there's a version of national treasure with that era of matthew mcconaughey when he <gasps> was like before he was like late like before he was kind of the McConaissance, like, do you know what I mean? Like Oscar Bale, oh. Matthew McConaughey, when he was Sahara era, do you know what I mean? Or like how, sure. to, how to lose a guy. And perfectly summed up by like most of the posters around that time was him like leaning against his co-star. Like, <laughs> shirtless nine times out of 10. Oh my God. My jaw is on the floor. <laughs> I can't believe that was going to be him. I had heard, I had I, heard I, a weird... I, 
I, I don't mean that he, he could have been. I just mean like that is like the casting you would kind of expect around that time. Right. Totally, totally. That like that comedy adventure, family friendly thing. I, I think I did. I hear it. Was it your podcast that I was listening to where you said uh, it was going to be Leonardo DiCaprio? No, but that, oh my that would have been crazy if that. If that, that was I was listening something I was listening to about National Treasure where they mentioned that it was, they pitched it to, as a Leo movie, and then when they were having a like a lunch meeting about it, Leo said, "No, no, no, I'm not right for this part. You need to cast someone who actually collects dinosaur skulls. <laughs> I have the perfect guy. It's Nick Cage. I don't, I don't know where I got that urban legend. I'm going to have to look that up and let you know. <laughs> well, that makes totally sense that um, Leonardo DiCaprio would know about that because it was Nicolas Cage who outbid him for that dinosaur skull. Oh, my gosh. stolen from Mongolia. And I think years later, Cage had to give that back. So, oh, my gosh. Th there's an element of national treasure to, her, to his own life, whether it's... <laughs> At points, he's owned two-headed snakes. He's he's, he's oh obviously got got that pyramid. He's owned castles. He's owned I think the haunted house in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. the the Lollory House and stuff like that. And it's just he's the the guy. The, it goes back to him just being so enigmatic and this this mystique. And it's it's I truly. I Did you read that? Uh, sorry. <laughs> Did no, no, you no. read that interview? Uh, that just came out, or I guess it came out over the summer, where Marilyn Manson interviews him for Interview Magazine. You mean Nicolas Cage interviewed himself? Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. I, I that, that you're one. right. That's what I meant. <laughs> you're right. When he, the part that stuck out to me so much is when he talks about his pet crows. <laughs> the conspire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't believe how perfectly well he has honed his own persona to get to the point where he can say oh yeah i've got pet crows and they swear at me and it's just like well obviously of course he does of course yeah. who else yeah I, I i have an image of cage dressed up as like edgar Allan poe a couple, <laughs> a, couple, a couple of crows like adorning him yeah never more yeah <laughs> perfect um so let's get into your top fives so let's first go with Let's get the negative out of the way. So let's sure. your, your number five of your bottom Nick Cage movies. Okay, number five. First, I'd like to say with these bottom five, I it's not that they're the worst performances of his, because I don't I think he's made some strange choices. I can't really call any of his performances bad because there there is always something interesting going on. But in terms of subject matter and in terms of uh, him, you know, my <laughs> daydream of him receiving the script and saying, yes, this is the movie I will do next. Like, I'm on board with this. These are my bottom five. Uh, number five is Time to Kill. Have you seen this one? Oh, yes. The, the, the Italian yes. army one. Oh, my gosh. What a mess. <laughs> what a terrible mess. A, a very weird subject matter as well. Yes! A very bizarre subject matter. And it's like, when you look at, like, I like, I kind of revisited that recently because I was like, well, like, I didn't watch it, but like, I liked doing some digging about it because the score is by Ennio Morricone. So when, right. he, <laughs> when he passed away, I was kind of like, like having a little poke around, being like, hey, is there any cage connections uh, by, by any child? And found that and I was like, 
Oh gosh. <laughs> that film's crap. Like it's terrible. Oh my God. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, for those of you listening who don't know, this is one where he, Nicolas Cage, he's like in his, in his mid twenties. He looks great, but the movie is awful. He is in the Italian army and he's stationed somewhere in Africa and he rapes this woman. And then he becomes convinced that she had leprosy. So he's convinced that he has leprosy and it's, it is all handled so ham-fistedly and it's so racist and so, so cringeworthy to watch with, with 2021 eyes. I just, I could, my jaw was on the floor the entire time I saw it. It's got that um, classic like Italian thing as well, where it's clearly, it's recorded with like, no, it looks like it's recorded with no sound and then overdubbed as well right 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 maybe everyone was speaking their native language that, on that, set that, yeah that's that a big kind of trope thing. with like it, italian cinema like uh, right the kind of 70s yellow films they kind of got everyone to speak in their mother t- and it's like we'll make it make sense in the edit and like right adr and it's 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 uh yeah i've I, I feel icky just like like thinking about that film so i'm gonna i'm gonna i know i feel bad even bringing it up on here <laughs> sorry everyone no, don't no, watch no. it i'm gonna swiftly move on to your number right. five in best nick cage films okay <laughs> um it's none other than con air <laughs> which Perfect. i i said put the bunny back in the box why couldn't you put the bunny back in the box? I love, I I unapologetically love it. There's so, so much wrong with it, but it's, uh, it's the kind of movie where whenever it's on cable, you know, you drop everything and you watch the rest of it. It's just a wild ride in uh, like maximalism and masculinity and uh, huge budgets and like cocaine fuel to cinema. <laughs> And it's funny, right? It's re- it's like it's, and I'm of the I, I'm of the belief that it's it's an intentional comedy, mm. because totally. Simon West, the director, I think he came from like comedy and like doing like commercials, and I think it was around that time when Michael Bay was like, let let let's let let's like get commercial directors to do these but like these these films for us because we could probably get them at a cheap price yeah (laughs) they they know how to make things flashy and then like that that film is like cage is a man known for his choices and it's like he chose to speak like that and it's (laughs) it's hilarious like nobody nobody in their right mind obviously you could probably attest to this better than me Nobody speaks like that. <laughs> yeah, I read that he he spent a good amount of time in Mobile, Alabama, working on that accent, and it's <laughs> it's really a joy to listen to. And especially when he, <laughs> so much of the time, he has this like dead-eyed delivery with this super sing-songy Southern <laughs> accent coming out of his mouth, and it's such a disconnect. It's hysterical. I love it. And it's kind of like, it's that weird, like, era for Cage in that, like, I call it the testosterone trilogy of, like, The Rock, Con Air and Face Off. Yeah, it's like, like, real kind of like, but he's, he's a part of that generation of 
everyman action heroes. It's kind of like him and Keanu are probably the two that I think of like the most. Like because like mm. the eighties, it was very much either guys who were martial artists or like absolute like muscle bound hunks, like your Arnold right. Schwarzeneggers and Sylvester Stallones. But then like the nineties, right. we've got these guys who were. And I guess like the kind of first one would have been Bruce Willis and Die Hard, and then like, like Conair's probably not a thingy because Cage is ripped in that, right? He's like, he's, he's yeah, it's he's, ridiculous. He's, yeah, he's looking <laughs> sexy. It's probably like, it's. I think it's that and uh, Kiss of Death. Like, I think like, I, oh I, I, I mentioned this on Twitter today that like, I think like the reason he is in Conair is kiss of death i think like that mm. kind of, that made like even though the film's not great people went like he can fucking get ripped he can get <laughs> he, he, like he can get ripped and it's that kind of right. one-two punch of kiss of death and uh leaving las vegas that kind oh of oh my gosh i the fact that his oscar performance and that trilogy of hyper masculinity are like <laughs> exist side by side in the late 90s like that is so fascinating like it's almost as though he had this blank check you know to do like the biggest budget things he could possibly get his hands on like oh you're going to do this little indian make <laughs> make a huge critical splash like let's completely swing the pendulum the opposite direction <laughs> And get you in walking away from explosions as often as possible. <laughs> Which in therein lies the super magnetic force of Cage is that you think like, oh, he's only going to do Oscar performances now. No, no. He's going to wear a crazy long haired wig and like do one handed push ups in the jail cell or like lift a stripper over his head. <laughs> you know, he's, it's he contains multitudes, truly. <laughs> yeah, there's a great like photo I love from the set of um, Connor that's him and Patricia Arquette just kind of like hanging out between takes. And like, mm. I like look back to that and was like, that is the coolest couple in cinema ever. <laughs> like, yeah. they, they just look, they like, it's like, I don't know. Especially like the choices both of those made around that time. And I think, yeah, again, not to like, I don't, I, we, we might get to it, but like, I think the stage after that kind of hyper-masculine era, it gets even, like, his career gets even more interesting for me, like, in in, in the kind of choices he makes and stuff like that. But um, sure. obviously, I, I could talk about Conair for absolutely hours, but let's go <laughs> on. Let, 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 let's swing that pendulum the other way and let's go, let's, do it. let's go to the bottom of the barrel with your number four pick. Sure. Um, I think that would have to be inconceivable. Nick Cage, he was the right person for this role. He was brilliant beyond brilliant. I love working with Nick. We did Face Off together. This is the first time we've worked together since then, and he's just easy. We have a really relaxed, easy chemistry together. It's a shame that it's not a comedy because we really should be doing a comedy together. Have you seen this one? Oh, very much so. <laughs> I'm, try, I'm like flipping through my notebook trying to look at like what year, 2017, you know, one of one of a, a cool five movies he was in that came out in 2017. And it just, oh my God, it's, it's about, uh, it's about a surrogacy uh, 
pregnancy like gone gone very wrong. And the, the fact that they they titled it with that hideous pun just <laughs> makes me want to pull my hair out. I, ugh, I never, ugh, I never want to sit through that one again. I don't think. <laughs> I'm not sure if you've ever seen the Lindsay Lohan film "I Know Who Killed Me." <gasps> no, I haven't. Tell me more. It's it's this like. I want to say, I I don't know, I can't remember it too well, but it's, again, it's like this over, like, hyper, weirdly sexual, like, a very much a throwback to those 90s, like, erotic thrillers, like, like, Inconceivable is Uh the way of, like, that kind of bunny boiler thrillers. Sure. And I think it's, it's something to do with, like, a consciousness is thrown to somebody else and like they they kind of like it's very but like inconceivable and it's like i know who killed me is not a good film <laughs> like inconceivable made me long to watch that because i was like, <laughs> like it's, I, I like okay I, yeah I, I did a whole episode on this and my my guest uh ed jefferson like informed me that that movie was filmed over two weeks that that makes perfect sense <laughs> it seems like they did one take of each scene and they said you know got it print it let's go like let's move move right on that was perfect and the director is you know like the the mum's like i'm not sure who he is but like he he's kind of like positioned as uh cage's mum's boyfriend like the very like heavily plastic surgery guy who like works at the hospital later on in the film as well sure that's the director. Oh God. <laughs> okay, okay. Things are making more and more sense. <laughs> who is who is for all intents and purposes uh, a bit of he's a real piece of shit. The director as well. He's kind of got this. Uh, Jonathan Baker is the name. I'll name and shame him. He's this uh, reality TV hack, basically. Who's like done? He did a show called The Amazing Race in two thousand and four. Like. I have no idea what it's but but he's kind of like flitted around on like reality TV shows and stuff mm. like that. And it's like uh, inconceivable is basically like a passion project for him. And it's like, Oof, yikes. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you can tell he updates his IMDb because uh, he, he like, he even puts like, there's a lot of like uncredited, I guess, extra work on his IMDb page and it's like oof too thirsty <laughs> you put that on there didn't you Jonathan you like do you know what I mean you you, oh ha- you happen to be in the back of a shot in uh entourage and you're gonna you're gonna chuck it on the list <laughs> yikes okay that that says everything that we need to know about that movie nobody watched this one can't it's not even so bad it's fun to watch it's just uh it's painful I think would do you disagree no I yeah I definitely I, I I believe it may have a uh what is it uh how how did this get made episode and it kind <gasps> of like it, it feels like the I I remember listening to, I, I'm pretty sure I've heard that because I like oh man I love that show yeah because there's like that it's very much in their wheelhouse of like a film that is like what the what the fuck like <laughs> Because it's a film that relies on a twist, but the twist makes no fucking sense. Right. <laughs> Extreme melodrama, but not not in a way that's at all interesting to unpack. <laughs> you know. 
like fanfic. It like might as well be fanfic, which not to knock fan fiction, but it's <laughs> should it did not belong in this movie. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, let's let's swing that pendulum back the other way and go to your Great. number four on your favorite Nick Cage films. Okay, number four is the incomparable Raising Arizona. Which one you get? I don't know. Nathan Jr., I think. Give me here. There's the instructions. Oh, he's beautiful. Yeah, he's awful damn good. I think I got the best one. I bet they were all beautiful. All babies are beautiful. This one's awful damn good, though. Don't you cuss around him. He's fine, he is. What a wonderful little lollipop of a film that is. I, <laughs> I, could, uh, I could watch it over and over on a loop until I die and be pretty happy about it. What, what a beautiful film. I don't really have anything new to say about it that hasn't been said much more articulately by, uh, by brainy film critics. But I, man, I just think that's a really great use of Cage. And I think it was surprising to people at the time that his, uh, his comedy skills were that honed. Mm, yeah, and it's really interesting that there's like that nice, it's a great year for Cage, 1987. So what, you've got that and uh, Moonstruck. Moonstruck. Yeah, and it's like you kind of get these, the both sides of the coin. And it's like, and, and he's like, he could have gone either way at that point as being this like broody uh, romantic lead or he could have gone like, he could have really lent into the comedy. And like, right. and, and, and it's it's great, isn't it? Because... It's almost that thing that, like, you you almost forget it's a Coen Brothers film because like, right. Cage, like, oh, like in a good way, overshadows that film because he's got this uh, cartoon esque performance that he, mm -hmm. like, yeah, the Woody Woodpecker hair and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that that, that that like from 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 research that that is something that he was like uh, very much pushing because he was like he, he's a big fan of like Tex Avery and stuff like that and those like cartoons and I think there's a reference with the Woody Woodpecker tattoo that um right right so like and yeah I was watching some clips of that quite recently and like both both him and Holly Hunter like it, it's just such a like a great like put together film and there's mm -hmm. There's a documentary. Uh, I'm not sure if it's out, but I remember like seeing it on IMDb recently, and it was called like, ah, uh, well, it's about like I, I don't know the premise of it. It's all about the 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 babies from raising Arizona. Oh, where they are now. Oh, how fun! <laughs> Do any of them play football like in his dream? <laughs> I, have, I can't remember. Like, but like, it's just like. It like, cause like part like part of like research of this podcast, I was thinking like, oh, who who would be f like great to interview? And I was like, it would be great to interview. Obviously, they'll know nothing about it, but like, I guess they would have been told loads of stories by their parents interviewing, right. interviewing like the baby like they stole basically. <laughs> like, even if it's like twins, I know a lot. A lot of the time in those things, like happens to be like identical twins that they use. Right, right. Yeah, oh, that I... would be great. <laughs> that would make a great movie, actually. Just like about the child star who was in that. That I would watch that. <laughs> um, yeah, if, if if they do a, a um, uh, was it uh the massive way uh the, yeah the unbearable, unbearable. Way of massive 
they do a sequel to that get the get like just for fan service get the baby from <laughs> get the get the grown-up adult from uh raising arizona um, it should be like a 10 minute short like as a blu-ray extra <laughs> perfect, perfect, that's all. get the studio on the phone we're pitching this <laughs> amazing so let's um yeah again like it's it's what more is there to be said about that film it's, it's just fantastic so let's move on to number three of your worst nick cage films sure um i'm gonna say it's sunny golden globe winner james franco golden globe winner brenda blethen mina suvari harry dean stanton in a film by nicholas cage sunny which is his one directorial effort. And I feel terrible knocking the one movie that Nick Cage directed because I admire <laughs> I admire the the effort and the you know the confidence that it takes to say, yeah, I've been in enough movies now. I think I I think I understand how to put one together myself. And then the just <laughs> colossal miscalculation of uh of <laughs> everything that happens in that movie. Have you seen this one, Sonny? Yeah. Where James Franco? Uh, I didn't love it. What, did you like it? I don't want to knock it if it's, if it's no, what you enjoy. No, no, you can, you, can, you can say what you want. A, a bit of discourse is always fun. But, like, um, <laughs> I remember, like, just thinking and obviously knowing that Cage, like, that script was knocking about for years. Mm. I think Cage, like, was going to be in it. And I think, like, if this was, like, a late 80s Cage film with like an interesting director and i think like i think it might have been pitched to like paul schrader but he'd already done american gigolo okay mm, okay and, and it's like that thing of like if if it was like a yeah it's like and you can see that through james franco's performance where he's like literally oh, like totally. it's like he's just given him a load of d like his old movies and gone watch these pretend to be me please yeah exactly i was so turned off by that i thought it was uh so reminiscent of those like later period woody allen movies which god i'm sorry to even say his name on this podcast but where you can tell like this is meant to be an avatar for the director who has aged out of the role and so instead they've hired like an idealized, more beautiful version of themselves to try to like do that wish fulfillment. And I was so, it just left such a bad taste in my mouth. I do love Nick's weird <laughs> batshit cameo at the end of it, I think is so funny. But if if there were more of that, I might feel differently about this movie, but um, it just really doesn't come together. And I think, you know, it's it's handling of um, sex workers, I think obviously from, from our contemporary viewpoint um, is pretty cringy, but ugh, I, I wanted so much more from it. I wanted, cause I, you know, Nick's love for New Orleans is so well-documented mm. that I really thought it could have been a more interesting use of the city. And instead it seems like just really hackneyed. I don't know. I find it really interesting that he says like the closest he's ever come to like portraying hit, like the closest to him on screen is a film like Joe. Mm. Yet the film he decides to make is this like, I don't know, quite broad and bawdy, like 
I don't know, it's quite bad taste, like, film about, about like, and it's quite an episodic movie about, like, the exploits of a, of a male sex worker. Totally. And it's, to me, that raised the question, is he trying to make some comment on how the life of an actor is comparable to the life of a sex worker? Is he trying to make some statement about how he feels used for his body? I, and I, it just, it just, it didn't come together for me. Perfect. Well, let's try and wash the taste of that film out of our mouth. Great. <laughs> by going on to your number three of your favorites. Okay, number three of my favorites is adaptation. I'm Earl Bruce. I don't know what that word means. I've written myself into my screenplay. That's kind of weird, huh? It's self-indulgent. It's narcissistic. It's solipsistic. It's pathetic. I'm pathetic. I'm fat and pathetic. I'm sure you had good reasons, Charles. You're an artist. The reason is because I'm too timid to speak to the woman who wrote the book. Because I'm pathetic. Because I have no idea how to write. Because I can't make flowers fascinating. Because I suck. Because oh. what's better than one Nicolas Cage? It's two Nicolas Cages. <laughs> that movie, I, I, and I think of all, of every movie that he's been in, I think, you know, regardless of, performance you know even if he weren't in obviously he makes so much of the movie but I think overall quality wise that is the best movie on his whole IMDb page like flat out I think that is an incredible uh piece of work and I I can't imagine anyone else doing justice to those twins the way that Nick does but I think it's it's just such a gorgeous script and I'm glad he's in it there's a perfect play of nepotism with that film because obviously at the time his cousin would have been married, uh, Sophia Coppola would have been married to Spike Jones. So like I always think like there's an element of like that's how they got Nick Cage because at that, at that time he would have been real hot shit, right? He would have been like really like, they, I don't know. And it's, he's fantastic in it. Like it's one of those films where you, you get lost in the fact that it's even him and i think totally that's what makes it like it's that film where you go oh yeah i just watched not one but two nick cages and like i didn't feel like they were nick Cage. i felt like they were charlie and donald kaufman and it's right right and and to be able to compare those two performances side by side in the same frame is such a gift because, you know, instead of having to sit through a double or triple feature of him trying on different hats, like <laughs> I'm going to do a thriller, I'm going to do a comedy, I'm going to do this. I, to see it exist side by side like that, I think, I think that opened a lot of people's eyes to his, to his range. If, if they hadn't been uh, by leaving Las Vegas, I think, I think this was a new level of um, impressive work. So that film would have come out uh, in 2002 and was like, mm -hmm. it's one of those films as well when people like, don't tend to talk about the fact that it was a heavily like Oscar nominated movie. So like, right. I think it was like, uh, and, and one I think for uh, Chris Cooper for uh, best like supporting actor. Mm, I think you're right. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I definitely feel like Cage, like, uh, re like, really doesn't get the heat. Well, for me, like, I I'm, I'm really quickly trying to find out, who, like, what else was nominated because that this is something I always find fascinating. It's almost like the films that don't win, 
mm-hmm. like the Oscar, like are, are normally better. Like it's, do you know what I mean? It's like it's like what, what was the best? Like what what was the ex- actual best film for th- that year that X film won or whatever? Do you know what I mean? Like totally. Yeah, yeah like well, like Green Book won the Oscar. Oh my god! Definitely yeah. not the best film for that year, <laughs> uh, but um. And I like adaptation of the film that has uh, stood the test of time. I think, like, I think it really like uh, talks to a lot of creatives. I know, I know friends of mine who are writers and stuff like that. Say it's it's a real tough watch because it it really taps into that that angst of trying to get something creative out of you. And I know it's something that like I, I definitely struggle with trying to like write stuff and like do oh sure the, the like the self-loathing and the hyper criticism absolutely it's it, it i can understand how it's painful for some people to watch uh, it's killer they oh, so many elements of just you know like hollywoodism <laughs> i think are nailed <laughs> nailed by the by that movie like just every every meeting that he takes with with the with different executives, I think it's the tone that they strike of that like casual friendly, but also get this done and we need it done. And like, but how are you? Like, oh, it's okay. And like the unspoken, but like just below the surface, like the money pressure, I think, oh God, I think it's so, so beautifully executed. Yeah, one of the like great, great things um, I've seen about that film is there's an amazing like Q and A with Susan Orlean. Mm, God, I love her the real Susan Orlean talking about the film and like kind of like talk about her interactions with the real Charlie Kaufman and stuff like that. And like, to begin with, she was like, you can't, you like I've read your script is amazing, but I can't, I can't give you my real name for this. Like, this is like, this is almost ruinous. Like you've got me like, you've got me doing drugs. You've got me like having an affair. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. And like, um, but she also said that like, and I think it's a testament to, I guess a divisive figure um, in, in regards to like what people think of his output, uh, like Charlie Kaufman said he's a, he's a genius in that he picked up on themes in that in the book that she like didn't come to realize until later. Like he kind of picked up on things to do with her marriage and stuff like that. And I think it was like after Ooh. that film came out that she like and she says it in this like interview that she got like she she did she she did divorce her husband not not through like an affair or anything like that but like he kind of like really like tapped into that and it's like wow yeah and it's uh, and there's a great like just to draw this back to your number five pick of your favorites uh it's interesting to me that spike jones's first two films star the two leads from uh, Connor. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I hadn't. Wow, so many like extra textual layers <laughs> we're unwrapping here about the wow, the nepotism and the personal lives. Wow, 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 wow. My head is swimming over that. That's amazing. Yeah, no, another one. Being, being John Malkovich was originally like pitched to uh, Francis Ford Coppola, who. <gasps> Turned round to chart, like turned round to whoever, like the execs or whoever, and said, "I know the perfect guy for this. Like my son-in-law, or like my my daughter's boyfriend at the time, whoever. Like was uh, he, he should direct this. 
he is wow. he's going to be the future of cinema like uh, and then like and then it's like that thing of like we without without the coppolas we would have had no spike jones essentially we would have, we would have, oh my like, gosh there could have possibly been no like no adaptation and i think yeah it's it's a perfect it's a it's a perfect pick but um what a powerful dynasty they are <laughs> amazing again like your your top five picks uh very much mirror some of the ones i absolutely love um but we can't always talk about the good times Let's talk <laughs> about some of the bad times with your number two worst nick cage films of all time okay um this one i'll say is left behind <laughs> yes i know you all want answers and believe me so do i and i'll do my best to get them yikes i i can't stand this this is the one where there's it's kind of like the leftovers situation where there's you know like a big uh Mm-hmm. A big, like, semi-religious reckoning <laughs> where, where uh, the the pure of heart people are like, uh, you know, ascend into <laughs> into the afterlife or something, and then everyone who else is left behind has to has to figure out <laughs> why they were left behind, what they were doing wrong, and it all takes place on a mostly on an airplane, right? Am I remembering this correctly? It, it- yeah, yeah. So Nick Cage is uh, Raymond Steele, and he's like <laughs> an, an airline pilot? pilot. Yeah, yeah. And, oh like, god! And it's it's on an airplane that like does not resemble any airplane any human being has ever gone on. It's kind of got these <laughs> like if you've ever gone to like a luxury cinema and they've got those like massive seats, it's got these. Yeah, <laughs> got, and it's everything's really on the nose and like. In regards to Cage performances, like I think it's one of the dullest Cage performances. Yes, there is. He is sleepwalking through this one, and it's it's a real bummer to see because if there had been a moment of, you know, that classic Gonzo Cage energy where he could unleash for a second, that you know, it might have <laughs> it might have uh, turned things around for this. Or I don't know, his something about the hesitation to address the actual like religious implications that they're kind of dancing around where it's this quasi spiritual thing. Just, ugh. it just, it just felt really cowardly, but like thinly veiled lifetime movie pro Jesus mess. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it rubbed me the wrong way. Well, it is weird. Cause it's based on like a, a very popular, like series of novels, like that, mm. are, that are like, I mean, big Christian, uh like yeah books basically so right right and apparently like cage did it because one of his brothers is a pastor so like uh what yeah christopher coppola yeah 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 and like no way director of deadfall yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) are you kidding oh my gosh (laughs) yeah yeah he does a lot of like stuff with the church and like he said like um i'm a big fan of the book you should do it but then no. <laughs> part of me, like, I, I, I've, I've, like, posed this theory a lot on the podcast, and I think I might be right, is that, like, it's almost like he's scared to, like, do his cagisms because, like, it might, like, offend the Christians. So instead, mm. it's really, like, wooden performance where it's, like, he's just kind of, like, turned up and gone, well, I will, I will do... I will, do- I will recite these lines. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, 
Oh my gosh. Wow. That sheds new holy light <laughs> on that project. Wow. I'm, that makes me actually, I, I swore I would never watch that one again, but now <laughs> this new information is, is tempting me <laughs> to sit down with it. Wow. One of the things with it as well is like the, 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 the musical like score for Left Behind is wild. It's kind of like somebody's rummaged through like license free music and gone, let's have a bit of that. 100%. It's like YouTube beauty vlogger <laughs> soundtrack. It is, it's atrocious. It's such, it's such a mismatch too. <laughs> and, and, and then we have um, like, Mrs. Uh, McFly herself, so and you kind of get, yeah. <laughs> you get excited, like you get excited by it because like it's like oh you got and it's that thing, isn't it? He's like oh you've got Nicolas Cage, you have got Leah Thompson. It's like oh this is this could be great, and it's like I, I don't know. And then it's 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 definitely not. They're not on screen at all together, and like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got that real made for TV quality oh. to it. It's so preachy and uh not not to knock, you know, religious entertainment for what it is, but it it seems to I, what bothered me is that it it doesn't seem to fully embrace one way or the other. I think it's kind of like, oh, we've got some religious undertones, but like maybe watch it because it's a Nicolas Cage movie and then maybe we'll convert you <laughs> through it. You know, it that just ugh, that just upset me. So there's a link between two of your worst Nicolas Cage movies. Do you know Ooh. what it is? Well, no, I don't. It is, is it the, the actress? Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> Nikki Wellen um, from the, 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 the like bunny boiler from Inconceivable. Plays, oh, 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 right, right, right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> plays the, plays the. The, the girlfriend, like the air stewardess. Yes, okay. Left behind. So like, oh my gosh, maybe I secretly have some horrible no. vendetta against this actress. I don't think it's you. Like, it's not you, it's her. Like, I think she's the kiss of death to a film. <laughs> oh no, I feel terrible. This I feel like this is awful, like internalized misogyny on display. She, I, but it's not, it's not about her performances. It's about how her, those characters are written. I guess that is just oh. thankless, you know, nothing redeeming about those characters or even interesting. Definitely. Definitely. So, um, uh, again, oh. like weirdly, I could talk about left behind for ages because it is like, like I, I could just get bogged down talking about like how they went about filming the actual rapture scenes. Cause I just, yeah. <laughs> I just find it hilarious that, like, essentially what they would have done is just, like, held up some clothes and then <laughs> dropped them and then moved an arm out. Of what? Them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but let's Gosh. head on over to your number two for your favorite, Nick Cage. Yes. Okay. So I, I want to say I, like, agonized <laughs> over compiling my top five. It was so hard. And I finally got to a point where I was like, mm, in no particular order, the top five are this. <laughs> but <laughs> but so to put to arrange them uh, by by my love for them is, is difficult. So I finally decided at number two is Valley Girl, which I just think is the most precious one of the most precious depictions of teen romance ever. I just think it's so charming and 
they have such amazing chemistry, Nick and um, Deborah Foreman. I know what this is. It's your fucking friends, right? Shit, Julie. I mean, what is this? It's between you and me, not between the rest of the fucking world. So fuck off. It's your friends. Well, fuck you. Now fuck off for sure. Like, totally. And it's so, it's like so believable and sizzling. And yet it seems so innocent to me. I, I don't know. And, and then the soundtrack, I just find to be sublime. <laughs> I just, I think it's, it really, it makes me really wish I were a teenager in love in the eighties in, in a way that other rom-coms attempt and do not, you know, succeed at. I just think it's so, it has so much heart and you can tell that the budget is so minuscule, but they, <laughs> everyone working on that movie just like threw their whole attention and finances into it. And it just, it just really warms my heart to watch. It's great. It's been a real hot minute since I've seen it because it's just, it's near on impossible to like get in the UK. I think like, Oh really? Yeah. When I first watched it, it was like, I had to, had to watch it illegally guys. Ooh, uh, wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully if you're listening to this episode you've been on you've been on board enough with the podcast that you're not going to report me to the police <laughs> but like, um, it's i remember like uh, it's a film i definitely need to revisit because i think i think it is that thing that like because i like started the podcast on that thing of like it was almost like it, this is a challenge to see if I can watch every Nicolas Cage film. Mm -hmm. my, my attitude to begin with was very much that like thing of people who deride him online with all these memes of like, oh, what the what the fuck's Nick Cage doing? Like, oh, like, and th and th like, I I was a lot harder on that film than it. I, it definitely deserves, and like probably like I think for comedy's sake, I was like on that episode a lot harder on it and it's like mm. i want to go back and visit and especially like since it's been like four years now since i like started the podcast it's like oh, wow, i've done that. i've done a lot of growing up in that time <laughs> so like i think i think i could definitely like i definitely would appreciate it a lot more and like i yeah. think w without the the caveat of having to record an episode on it just to be able to watch it and enjoy it like sure and I, I, there, there are things that like stick with me i think there's like there's a brilliant like heartfelt moment when she tries to break up with him uh on the doorstep and like mm -hmm. you kind of and it's that great thing like it's ahead of its time as a movie right because it's got that like whole that class thing like of like and i guess i, I guess it's kind of done with pretty in pink as well and stuff like that but this feels mm. like the 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 more real version where pretty in pink is like the hollywood version of that story mm -hmm. I th yeah and i think it's so interesting um the class thing that you mentioned that it doesn't seem the pressure uh to date within her own peer group doesn't at all seem to come from her family and it comes completely from her friends her high school friends who are such assholes I uh, I hadn't hadn't really seen that depicted before, and it's I think it's a very real pressure, and it's uh, it's handled really carefully. Yeah, and it's like that thing in the eighties. A lot of the time, it would have been like the pushy parents, even to like right. big 
cultural milestones like uh, the Karate Kid. Do you know what I mean? It's like Ali's parents who are like, oh, you dated this kid from Reseda? Like, right. <laughs> that was a brilliant impression. That was great. <laughs> yeah, then- yeah. It's it's funny how supportive those parents are. I feel like I could walk out into Silver Lake right now <laughs> in LA and meet them and it would be, I wouldn't bat an eyelash. Like they're so progressive, especially when you think that that movie came out in 1983. I think it's so ahead of its time. Well, don't they own like a kind of like, basically like a vegan health store as well yeah a health food store and a restaurant yeah it's amazing and they're talking about their like Birkenstocks and they're talking about being at Woodstock and the March on Washington they're like these wonderful hippies (laughs) and they, they don't say anything negative about Nick Cage's character the whole time it's really refreshing yeah it's um if you have a chance uh check out the and this is for people at home as well type in valley girl tie poster and then compare it to the american poster of valley girl and it oh is, no <laughs> it is a sight to behold it is great oh i can't but wait it's like when you you get like the like somebody go yeah this is like it's like it's like a nailed it basically you know like when they try and get like expectation that, reality yeah exactly <laughs> it's an expectation reality video yeah yeah no, like image it's yeah that's that's the perfect way to put it um, oh great i can't wait to see it <laughs> so we're hitting to the the top spot of your least favorite nick cage film what okay uh you know <laughs> I think it's trapped in paradise, <laughs> which like on the surface, it should, it's like such an innocuous, just like middle of the road holiday comedy. <laughs> but the reason I chose it is because it is this weird curio of a movie where it like, it looks like the budget's fine. Like the cast is pretty impressive. It looks like it should be, you know, of similar caliber to like, planes, trains, and automobiles. (laughs) But then there's this intangible quality to it where nothing works. Like, I don't know if it was just the editing or something, something about the direction just leads to such a dumpster fire of a movie that has such grand potential and then does not at all land it. It's like, what is happening? How many different scripts do we have here? Like all of the leads are in different movies. (laughs) It's just, it's so messy. And this might be enhanced by the fact that I, um, (laughs) I made my parents watch it with me when I was visiting them (laughs) for Christmas and they were so baffled by it. They were like, why are you doing this to us? And I was like, I need to cross it off my list. (laughs) And so I think part of like, it has been, uh, his warped my memory of it is like thinking about how my parents were making these like groaning sigh noises the whole time. Like, Oh my God, it's not over yet. <laughs> so <laughs> It just, it just sticks out like a sore thumb in my memory. <laughs> no, it, it, it is bad. Like you are right. It is bad. Like it's, it's a rudderless ship as well. So the director um, basically wasn't directing. <sighs> Cage is reportedly like he directed a lot of the scenes and stuff. Like that. Oh like, my I think, okay. and I think at that point probably had no directorial experience, and it's. I think, sure. like, I think if you had a proper director on that film, a you wouldn't have got Dana Carvey doing that voice throughout. That <laughs> That's right, Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like the thing, like obviously Dana Carvey and John Lovitz are 
are great for certain things. Like I, I, I said it on another. I got invited on a, a podcast to talk about that film for a Christmas episode. Ooh, it's fun! Thing, it's that thing of like, um, as like an SNL sketch, like those characters, interesting for like sure. a nearly two-hour movie. Those no, I want to fucking kill them both. Yeah, like, <laughs> very grating. Yeah, like John Lovitz popping up in an Adam Sandler movie, kind of like doing his like doing a John Lovitz basically. Do you know what I mean? When he turns up in the Wedding Singer and he's like playing that like douchebag like uh, rival singer, it's like yeah. <laughs> perfect. I'm all on board for that, but when it's like here's John Lovitz doing jazz hands essentially for two hours. <laughs> fuck off john exactly he should be he's one of those actors where he should just be the cinnamon in the recipe instead of being the flower you know what i mean (laughs) he's like he carries much too much weight in this movie and it becomes very tiresome very quickly (laughs) there's a whole weird thing that him and dana carvey like i think they had a uh, las vegas residency like they kind of do like a double act oh gosh and it's like yeah, that like torture. <laughs> if you're saying to me like you've got you've got the choice of like Shania Twain or John Lovitz and Dana Carvey, <laughs> hey, man, I feel like a woman tonight. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like I ain't, I ain't fucking going anywhere to those near those two. Like, oh um, gosh, no, thank you. How funny. I mean, you know, I should I shouldn't be so hard on them. I love Dana Carvey in certain ways, but. I, I don't think I would choose to to spend a precious evening that way. <laughs> well, it's that thing, like, like, I, I, for me, I was never like a Wayne's World. I was never like a massive Wayne's World guy. I was like, mm-hmm. in my head, it was you. You pick a camp. It's your Bill and Ted or Wayne's World, and it's like, oh, how funny, yeah. I I I, I was more of like a, a a Bill and Ted guy, but like, um, I can see that. And it's like the thing of like, I don't know, like, apart from, I've never seen Master of Disguise, and I don't think oh I ever will. Uh, Watching the trailer is more than enough for that one, <laughs> I think. And uh, yeah, like, John, as I said, John Lovitz, when he pops up in like, I, like me and my brother constantly quote, like, he, he's losing his mind. And I'm reaping all the benefits, like from the wedding singer at each other. I, I, I love it. Like if I hear "Ladies' Night," like I hear it, it like with that, like John Lovett's voice, like "Sophisticated." Mama. When he does that real like, guttural, "Sophisticated Mama," like I hear that. I don't hear like <laughs> the cool and the gang version. I, I, I hear John Lovett's in my mind. <laughs> all for yeah. it. But... This is the thing: is it's this movie. It's the rare case of uh, the sum. What, what's the phrase that I'm looking for? The sum is lesser. The the, the 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 final product is lesser than the sum of its parts. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like it has all these good elements that should come together with a little bit of je ne sais quoi and make like a charming enough family holiday movie. But instead, everything falls short, and it just it feels like work to watch it, which is not. It's the opposite of how it should feel to watch a movie like that. Well, it's got that thing as well that they're high, they're they're quite unlikable characters. Mm-hmm. They're not, like they're not the type of people you want to spend two hours of your life with. No, and, and it's like you're not rooting for them, really. No. It's like <laughs> somebody watched Home Alone and went, "You know what? Let's make a movie where we 
where we zone in on Harry and Marv. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> like no, yeah. no, and it's it's just it's just quite bizarre. And it's like the thing like I love Twin Peaks. So like when Madge and a Mick turns up, I'm like, ah, oh. and then she's just sidelined. Do you know what I mean? And it's got like, totally. And it's I'm like, girl, you in danger. <laughs> like, get get out of there. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was worried for her. The one thing I will will say about that film is like one of the funniest, the funniest person in it is Cage. Like he delivers sure. some stuff like he's quite wild in some of his deliveries. And there's definitely like some moments you can cherry pick from that moment to like put in a kind of comedy sizzle reel. And it will be like it, it's quite fun. But like the, right. the whole film, the film as a whole does not hang together. Do you know what I mean? No, I not a bit. It is, I don't, yeah, as you said, like your expectation is plane, trains, and automobile. And then you've kind of got this, like, I don't know, n- nativity, like a plastic nativity scene that's been left by the fire when you're <laughs> trapped in paradise. It's like, oh my God. Like, exactly. We haven't even mentioned how, like, dis- like I don't even, I kind of don't want to mention it, but like, how disgusting the giblet gravy scene is with Dana Carvey. Well, oh my God. <laughs> I, I think I have like repressed the memory of that. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. No. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that is, yeah, like I can, I can definitely see why that, and, and, and coupled with the like holiday memory with your parents, where it's like, <laughs> it's been a tough year. I, I, yeah. I've got the opportunity to spend it with my folks. Right. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? And, and now it's mired by this absolute shit show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'd like to formally apologize to you, mom and dad, if you're listening, <laughs> for making you sit through that with me. Thank you for your support. <laughs> Amazing. So let's get on to number one of your favorite Nick Cage films. Yes. Number one, it's Moonstruck, a perfect. Oh glittering diamond of a film <laughs> I could watch forever and find something new to love every time. What is life? You know, I didn't come here to upset you. They say bread is life. And and I bake bread, 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 <clears throat> and I sweat and shovel this stinking dough in and out of this hot hole in the wall and and I should be so happy. Huh, sweetie? You want me to come to the wedding of my brother Johnny? Where's my wedding? Chrissy, over by the wall. Bring me the big knife. No, Ronnie. Bring me the big knife. I'm going to cut my throat. Maybe I should come back another time. No, I want you to see this. I want you to watch me kill myself so you can tell my brother Johnny on his wedding day, okay? Chrissy, bring me the big knife! What really stands out to me about that movie is there is not one moment that I think needs to be cut. I think its entire runtime is perfect. Every single element is flawless. <laughs> I'm just I'm just gushing at this point. I just it was such a surprise to me this movie. Like I had heard I hadn't seen it until last year, two years ago, maybe. I, I had never heard of Nicolas Cage being in it at all. I have I had only known that it was Cher kicking the can down the street and having the big, beautiful hair. I, like, I had no idea what to expect. And then, and then my friend 
uh, was like, you need to see this. This is a fantastic rom-com. You'll love it. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then Cage's performance is such <laughs> a revelation to me. This, his performance in this is what, um, what kicked off my desire to do the whole year of cage project. So it's, it's really uh, near and dear to me. It's, it's uh, such, such a hoot to watch him in this. It's a film that's got, got like a bubbling, like sexual tension to it. That's like, it's like, I've, I don't think I've ever seen that like portrayed on screen any better of just like him and like shit, like this kind of like feisty, Ita like Italian, like energy to it. And it's like, yeah both, both of them and it's like that thing of like are they gonna at any moment it's like are they gonna fight or fuck and it's like right right that is, that's the movie basically yeah like, this this was the first time i had never it had never ever occurred to me that nicholas cage could be considered handsome like i <laughs> i had no idea that people out there found him to be a, a handsome guy and then i saw this and i was like whoa <laughs> he's got animal magnetism that i did not acknowledge before so <laughs> it was it was a big turning point for me <laughs> yeah, again it's what it's one i haven't revisited in a couple of years and it's like it's that thing like i i know recently like uh it got like a, a criterion release in the u.s oh yeah it's having a real moment right now yeah and i'm like i just like see stills of it all the time I'm like i really need to go back to that and it's like the thing of like it's not streaming anywhere. And it is that thing, like, for me, I'm, like, holding out that, like, Criterion UK give it that Blu-ray release because I'm, like, I want to see it in the best possible way. Like, do you yeah. know what I mean? I've, like, I've been so so hard done by recently watching, like, Francis Ford Coppola films on, like, early DVDs where it's, like... Oh, God. You know, like, where it's, like, a square on the screen. It's, like, this, <laughs> this isn't how this film is supposed to be viewed. But, like... right. There's, again, like, uh, there's great footage. I think it's for, like, it must have been, what, the 1988 Oscars when um, Sean Connery, finally, won the Oscar for Best Actor for The Untouchables. Oh. Cher and Nicolas Cage present the Oscar to him. And their chemistry together, like, Cage is kind of being a bit wild. It's kind of, like, not as much as the... I'm not sure if you've ever seen the the Terry Wogan like entrance when he like front flips and throws out all the money like. Uh, oh yes, yes, the, yeah. the, the I've seen the gif of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's kind of like got that like the energy he's got in that like the swagger and like. Oh gosh. But then you've got Cher saying to him like, "Don't don't make me hit you, Nikki," and it's like that that like sexual tension is like <laughs> bubbling still like do you know what I mean at the Oscars it's like come on guy and my my favorite element of that of their chemistry is <laughs> that she's 15 years older <laughs> than he is that is that rocks my world that she's got this she's like so sophisticated and worldly and he's just like this like punk ass kid with like <laughs> hot bubbling blood <laughs> and they're just the perfect match I god I love it so much yeah they they're like it's it is great like and i definitely like it's definitely a contender for like my 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 like like one of my, and it's like it's a really sweet film as well isn't it it's like yeah like, that's the thing is it's got the on the one hand it's got it's like super sexy and electric but then on the other hand it like functions as this really wistful like fairy tale so i the the tension between those two poles i think is is so special and that's what makes it 
so magnificent to watch over and over again because you you can see those two forces at play and it's it's wonderful in my mind um the 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 moonstruck universe is in the same universe as the rocky universe so like in new york you've got uh, <laughs> you've got cajun share like do you know what I mean like falling in love and then yeah. over in philadelphia you've got rocky and adrian you got these great like I, I, they, I think for me like especially the first rocky film they both like play in that same sandbox of like just these like really tender like love stories and i think like for me like rocky one is is that more than anything more than a sports movie is this oh sure adrian yeah Yeah. two 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 kind of outsiders falling in love and like just yeah like the the passion in uh moonstruck and i'd be remiss not to mention the the like it took my hand like the kind of like he's like i make bread i lost my hand i lost my bread yeah yeah Yeah, Yeah, iconic and that's like pretty much his introduction as a character right it's like yeah that's his first scene (laughs) comes out guns blazing in that movie and does not let up it's (laughs) magnificent that's what you want and what's great about that oscar like uh performance of those two is that like they're they're pretty much dressed how they are when they go to the opera so it looks like walked off the set of that movie onto the oscar stage oh beautiful oh beautiful gosh that's that's touching <laughs> perfect that's that that that's that's been an amazing yeah but both of your top fives have been great it's been amazing to talk about this film. thank you before i let you go um just couple free free fun questions um yeah what, what is the worst hair nick cage has ever had in a movie this was tough um I settled on Bangkok Dangerous. <laughs> and you are correct. It that that piece just looks like it is running away from his face and it it makes me sad. It just makes me sad. I love the ones, I love the movies where he has a full wig that's kind of like shoulder length long hair. I think I think he rocks that. I think I'm talking like Season of the Witch. Uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice style, like when he has a, f- a full wig that is like, or even, even this is this is polarizing to say, but even those photos of uh, Superman Lives, where he's doing the costume fitting and he's got that long hair, I think is so interesting with his bone structure, and I think mm-hmm. I think he should lean into that more. But then Bangkok Dangerous, it's like half of that wig it's like someone cut a circle (laughs) like in the very center of a long-haired wig and like scotch taped it to the back of his head (laughs) and it just upsets me it's it's like very sad elvis it's it's a bummer it's just a bummer to look at (laughs) well it's that thing as well it's like i don't know it's like it's like a skullet basically he's got yeah it's like it's like no party in the like it's like no business in the front and a party you don't want to be in at the back. I'll avoid that party. <laughs> it's sad. I just can't believe, and in so many of those like post-2010 movies that he's been in, when he has a bad hairpiece like that, I ju- I'm just always astonished that enough people 
signed off on it. Like I can, you know, it takes so many people to say like, yeah, that's fine. That works. Yeah. That's great. Before it like reaches our TV screens. And I just can't believe that it got enough yeses to like make it to the final product. Well, I think with Bangkok Dangerous, the poster for that movie as well is the, the same case. It looks like a first pass by the graphic designer because it's like... It probably was. Like this weird thing with his arm where it almost looks like his hands... like It's obviously supposed to be going under his jacket, but the way it's like positioned, it looks like his arm's going into him. and It, oh, it all looks a bit like photoshopped. And it's like, <laughs> how many people have looked at this and then gone... Yep. Yeah, that works. Yeah. <laughs> Green light. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the like do you know what I mean? Somebody's like I, I, I picture it like I don't know, like like uh Americans got I don't you know when they're picking like finalists for like a, a game and they're kind of got, got Polaroids laid out on a desk and then they're going, Yeah, that's the one. Like that's the, no, We've no, got a winner. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not. Um so um yeah. As you're probably aware, Nick Cage is known for doing some very dexterous things with his voice in movies. <laughs> what is the craziest voice he's ever done in a movie? Um, I'm sorry, I have two answers for this one. The first one we we mentioned, uh, Army of One. He's got that crazy nasal voice that just is so grating and does not at all match to me like the rest of his body's performance i don't know if it was because that it was what that actual man sounded like or what but it's it's ridiculous and then in his like <laughs> he has that fantasy or a hallucination where he's talking to osama bin laden and he says like assalamu alaikum binny boy and it just it makes my skin crawl <laughs> it's just ridiculous but then the second answer is um, <laughs> the atrocious Italian accent he's committing in uh, Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Ooh. Have you seen this? Yeah, yeah, of course. I said Captain. Oh, gosh. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm offended uh, by that film in, in two ways. That accent and the fact of, like, uh, it's, it's, it's set on a Greek island where, like, yeah. <laughs> obviously I'm, I'm half Greek and it's like, uh, it's like you've got a, a Christian Bale doing an equally bad Greek accent, and it's like <laughs> so you've probably got like the most Spanish-looking woman in the world. Oh my god! And well. sounding, <laughs> yeah, to play a Greek woman, it's like come on, that, guys! Like, oh my god, what a mess! And I just, I had really this. My mistake was that. I had high expectations for what his Italian accent would sound like because I thought if anyone could do it, it's a Coppola. <laughs> like if anyone can nail this, it's Nick. And then it, it comes out just like so Mario sounding yeah. <laughs> that it just upset me. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Yeah, that is a. Uh, that they're both. Oh, but they're they're both real stinkers. So um, <laughs> get on to. Like what a lot of people sign on to a Nick Cage film for what they what they always look for is him paging out, freaking out. What is the best Nick Cage freak out in a movie? Ooh, um, to me the most memorable one is um, Deadfall, directed by his his dear brother. Just the whole second act. <laughs> of that movie like starting from when he's like at the strip club alone to then when he gets his face um stuck in the deep fryer <laughs> i think is 
<laughs> so fun to watch. And you know, I, I, the other the other obvious choice is Vampire's Kiss, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But everyone talks about this one. Deadfall, on the other hand, I had never heard of, and I think it belongs in the same conversation as Vampire's Kiss. It is it is that unhinged and that fun to watch. <laughs> well, it's got that thing as well that like it's so many like bizarrely quotable moments in that and there's like great there's great youtube videos where they've just compiled losing all, his shit all no 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 just nick cage's moments in deadfall so it's like all oh. of just all of ju- just nick cage in that movie and it, oh. <laughs> it's perfect and like, a line that like i, I would say it haunts me <laughs> a lot of the time is when the he's like have he's like i think he's like Cut, like, stabs the guy in the throat, and he's like, "It's like Sam fucking Peckinpah." Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> what? Why have you just like quoted the name of like a like a you know, like a a seventies director out of nowhere? <laughs> <laughs> or he's like, "Vive la fucking France!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so then good. like one like I what I thought was great with the history of swearing is. Uh, history of swear words is there's a um there's a great deep cut from deadfall like that they put in the trailer and in the show where he does that prolonged like Fuck. yeah yeah like for the for the nerds like me and you who have yeah. watched them all for like the kind of the the crate diggers of nick, nick cage fans totally like, you see that and then you go like they're referencing deadfall <laughs> like they've really done their research for this show <laughs> And, and it and it shows that like I don't know I think Cage is like uh, entering an interesting stage in his career and probably like yeah le- leads us on to the, the end of the podcast is like he's like really self aware and it's like that thing of like obviously one of my hopes like one day for this podcast is to be able to talk to Nick Cage and it's like with the fact he's doing stuff like that you think ah oh, like he will talk about that stuff I know like a lot of actors like don't check like there's certain movies they go like I don't, or their pr will be like don't mention this yeah <laughs> yeah you know, Jimmy, it's like like bruce willis it's like don't i don't know like it's probably the lot the list is probably longer for films you can't talk about than it is you can't do you know what I mean like sure sure yeah like yeah i'm i'm uh i'm kind of viewing this current iteration of cage's career as like his chuck norris phase where he like is just a walking meme and is kind of leaning into that in a way it makes me sad because I think I think that he has more great performances in him I like I think my hope is that he could get another Oscar nomination someday yeah. but I don't know if that's ridiculous no my thing for it I wouldn't say like Chuck Norris I would say it's like Jeff Goldblum from a few years ago when he Oh sure. Really lent into being like I am Jeff Goldblum. Do you know what I mean the <laughs> airy fairy Jeff Goldblum, where he's kind of doing like uh, videos for Vice, where he's doing like a- ASMR videos of like because he's known to have that like voice and like yeah, or like come see my jazz band. <laughs> like- yeah, yeah, or like <laughs> like he like when you see Jeff Goldblum in interviews now, he's like all of a sudden he's like affected this way of like kind of holding himself where he is kind of like and he dresses like a dandy and yeah i I think cage and 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 i guess 
a question I didn't send to you beforehand, but I guess it's, it's quite relevant. But it's a new year, and obviously there's new cage stuff um, coming up. Of what you know about of uh, the cage, like films or projects that are slated for the future, is there one you're particularly excited about? Yes, I I'm actually quite excited to see the Joe Exotic project. <laughs> I think I think um, it has the potential to be too off the rails, but I also think that I think Nick's like <laughs> forgive this horrible phrase, but like his, his instrument is so well calibrated and he is in such good control of it that I think he's going to turn in something really insightful and interesting. And also I was trying to think, has he ever played an out gay character before? I can't think of another time he has. So I'm, 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 you know, cautiously optimistic that this will be an interesting, uh, interesting turn for him. What do you think? Are you looking forward to that one? I'm really looking, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like looking forward to, to, to all of it. Like, and it's that thing in, in like cage terms, this looks like one of the, sh like, potentially strongest years of like output whether it's like uh prisoners of ghostland like uh yeah like, like teaming yeah teaming up with again it's, it's it's similar it kind of harkens back to the john woo thing with face off it's like it's a it's a prolific asian director making his first english language film i know face off wasn't john woo's first english language but it's like somebody who's like in certain circles, Sion Sono has like he's yeah, like does like two to three films a year and stuff like that. It's like in insane. He's like uh but like the fact that like he's decided I'm gonna make an English language film and not only am I gonna do that, I want Nick Cage to star in it. Really like gets me excited. Um, totally. And the buzz around that one has been so positive. I yeah, I, I have it, high hopes. Yeah, and it's like what it's been announced for Sundance and it's like right. that that's like that's normally like a high watermark for a movie right and then it's like you've got the unbearable weight of massive talent and even if you strip Cage away from that obviously he's the linchpin of it but like you look at the cast surrounding him it's like you've got what probably one of the hottest actors working right now in Pedro Pascal mm -hmm. you've got Neil Patrick Harris oh god like, <laughs> I forgot like, it's like for all intents and purposes like it can be hit and miss but like if he's kind of like for me like some of the funniest neil patch harris is is in the harold and kumar movies when he's oh sure very much playing high camp and like yeah the self-aware performances are much more fun yeah so i and I, I have a feeling that's possibly what we might get and then what yeah tiffany haddish and sharon horgan oh god i love sharon she's so fun and then, yeah <laughs> that's right it's like that cast is insane you got yeah. you got willie's wonderland which looks like oh my gosh absolutely fucking crazy mm -hmm. and then you've got a film that like looks like it should be an a24 movie that film pig with him and alex wolf and oh uh, right 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 and like nicholas cage plays like um like an ex-chef um who spends his days truffle hunting <laughs> with his prized pig and then the pig's kidnapped and he has to get it back but like he's oh made God. he's made the big caveat in interviews that like it's not like a revenge thriller it's like more of like a character piece and i'm like 
that's even more interesting. It's not Hell like, yeah. It's like a, they're trying to cash in on that John Wick money. It's like, this is potentially going to be like, I don't know, like in the same vein as like Joe. And yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, and it's like... like like if John Wick didn't choose violence and instead just like spent 90 minutes like reflecting on the loss of his dog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, and kind of like drinking in bars, like talking to like people going like, oh, it fucking sucks, man, that my, yeah. my dog died. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh. Yeah, been there, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and then it's like, I don't know, like, I guess around the time it would have been made, like, like, Alex Wolf, I don't think would have signed on to a real dud because I'd imagine when that film got made, it would have been post Hereditary and like his mm-hmm. kind of like his kind of Indie inbox would have, been, would have been flooded with stuff and it's right. Like, but that that that's one of those weird ones that kind of seems to be in just like post production limbo. Whenever I mm-hmm. look at IMDb and it's like it kind of feels like something that should have at least been like touted for some kind of film festival if and when that happens who knows but yeah yeah fingers crossed yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) 2021 like even if the world burns down it looks like it could be a good year for give us pig (laughs) (laughs) wonderful amazing marianne thank you so much for for coming onto the podcast um is there anything you want to plug do you want to plug your social media or anything like that or like do do you want like uh, <laughs> yeah, you can follow me on Twitter if you want. My handle is Mariani Pants. Um, I'm thinking about starting a separate Nick Cage account because I like I don't want to flood <laughs> my my one account with stuff that is I know alienates a lot of my friends. <laughs> so keep your eyes peeled for some more Cage content from me. But thank you so much for having me. This has been the highlight of quarantine. <laughs> thank you so much. Love talking to you. No, thank you so much. This has been an absolute joy. And thank you for coming and raging with Cage with me. Anytime, man. (laughs) Happy 2021. Happy Nick's birthday. And that was Marianne Zumberg and her top and bottom Nick Cage films. I'm sure you'll agree with me that they are some fantastic choices on both sides of the scale. She really does have a nose for the stinkers as well as knows the knows the good ones i loved talking about moonstruck and just yeah all of her picks but yeah again thank you very much to marianne for coming on the podcast that is if you're listening you might not want to listen back to a conversation that you're on i totally understand that that's why i never listen to my own podcast i say that but i did listen to myself on the fantastic sudden double deep podcast that came out yesterday if you are listening to this in real time uh, or yeah it came out on this thursday so the 21st of january where we discussed three nicholas cage films so the wicker man spider-man into the spider-verse and mandy in their man triple bill because they are the three films linked by a word podcast and Daryl, Jeanette and Matt are bloody fantastic. Uh, check that episode out uh, if you're a fan of me, but check out their podcast because it's better than this one. 
I don't, I shouldn't be saying, well, no, no, it should be. It's, it's equally as great. It's fucking great. It's a great, great podcast. So do check those guys out. Um, this is the point as well where I should be plugging away, guys, that you can now pre-order the first ever Caged In t-shirt, which is a Not The Bees Wicker Man uh, inspired t-shirt designed by an amazing artist called Tim Sinclair. And you will be the talk of Summersall. When you're going to those uh, sacrifices and when when the harvest is low and you're you're walking around, you're you're doing your harvesting, you're, you're tending to the bees, you'll look the genuine bees knees in this t-shirt it's uh, it's got this like crazy design that i kind of I concocted up in my mind but has this feature that you can flip the t-shirt over your head to reveal the cage's face in the cage of bees essentially uh from the wicker man so you can you can ruin every family photo for the foreseeable future so yeah do check out that with that it's a caged in podcast.limitedrun.com i've made them for like as reasonably priced as i can so they're 13 pound plus postage and packaging postage packaging obviously uh internationally if you listen to abroad it's slightly more but like that's only because that's like a tiny bit more than what it cost me to ship it okay i'm like genuinely i just want these to be out I want these to be out for me to break even and not for these to bankrupt me. So please do uh, pre-order a t-shirt. That would be fantastic. And I could say this because I didn't design them myself, but the illustration is fantastic. On next week's podcast, uh, we'll really get into the end. We've got three films left and next week's uh, episode is with Logan Kenny to talk about the 2019 erotic thriller southern gothic drama Grand Isle directed by Stephen Campanelli and it's a great conversation and this is one if you haven't subscribed to the Patreon I would really really recommend it with this one just because me and Logan end up talking quite a considerable chunk. So you'll probably go get an extra like 20 to 30 minutes extra just talking a bit deeper about Cajun. Obviously, I've got like three bonus questions that I ask on the Patreon section and stuff like that. But Logan has some amazing answers and it kind of veers down in some, some really interesting places. So yeah, do be sure to check out that. It's only £2 a month and since the start of this year every episode has kind of had a little bit of an extra chunk and moving forward every episode will have a little bit extra and then on top of that i'm going to chuck in some bonus episodes as well so hopefully it's it's worth it's worth the money (laughs) um so yeah check out uh that episode next week and that's that's it guys yeah we'll, we'll talk then about what we've got coming up then there'll be another bonus episode next friday but i'll tell you about that next week so as always guys i've been petrus pat Silvers. i've been caged in you've been amazing otherwise
This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Drip Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.